Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Special Teams, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome inside Special Teams with Jason Smith and Mike Harmon, a weekly podcast where we look back at some special teams in sports history and specific years where they really stood out. And we've had a big run the past few weeks of looking back at some very big games in both NFL and Major League Baseball history. And we got a big NFL one to get to today, one of the best conference championship games of all time, the 1996 AFC title game for the 1995 season between the Steelers and the Colts. The Colts were the upstart 9-7 and seven team that, well, nobody really thought was going to go into Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and win this football game, but Jim Harbaugh, back then Captain Comeback, not the Super Bowl coach of the 49ers and underachieving Michigan football coach. No, he was Captain <laughs> Comeback in the mid-90s, and the Colts almost pulled it off. It was a dropped Hail Mary away from the Colts going to the Super Bowl. Well, the fact that he was still upright to be able to have that last second heave, it's pretty amazing because they had hit him 11 times before the end of the first quarter. <laughs> it, was, it was a game I think Harbaugh is still feeling some of these hits from. Yeah, no, I mean, by halftime, it's like you walking gingerly, hands getting checked, all of those kind of thing. But he just kept coming back for more. I mean, that was one of the things as a player and part of the reputation as a coach, right, of a guy that, all right, we've got to figure out another way. We've got to come up with another plan. Let's just keep, you know, evolving and, and just, you know, keep moving forward like Rocky said so brilliantly all those years ago. And and that's the story of, you know, Jim Harbaugh's NFL career. Never dominant. couple of big years for the Bears, you know, in the early 90s, teaming up with Neil Anderson. I, I got Neil Anderson. Yeah, because you got Doug. But, let's skip over that Monday night game against the Jets. I still can't talk about it. The yeah, Cap okay, Bozzo game. I, I can't. Neil wow, Anderson you falling Cap through the end Oso zone. Nicely I, can't, done. I, can't, I can't think about it. I can't. It's not your fault. Uh, but look, this Colts team, and like I said, they were nine and seven, and this was what a nine and seven football team looks like. Right? They, they don't have a lot of stars. They're not great, but they're solid enough on both sides of the football where they made enough plays. And this was the Indianapolis Colts of 1995. They were coming off an eight and eight season, which at this point for the Colts was their best record in a decade because the Colts had stunk. Right, before they got Peyton Manning, they had stunk. They had a couple of years with Eric Dickerson, and then it was a vast wasteland until you get to the 1995 season. They go 9-7. and seven. How do they go 9-7? and seven? Well, Jim Harbaugh, Captain Comeback. He was the NFL Comeback Player of the Year, which didn't really come into his nickname. He was nicknamed Captain Comeback because Indianapolis pulled out a lot of games at the end to qualify for the playoffs. And I remember going in thinking how fraudulent the Colts were. You know, Jim Harbaugh was never great. He was a smart and solid quarterback 
quarterback. Look, 95 was his best season as a quarterback. He threw 17 touchdowns. He only threw five picks. His quarterback rating led the NFL at 100.7. But this what he wasn't explosive. He was someone he was a game manager and he made just enough plays. And the Colts were able to go nine and seven. Now, the one big star on the team was Marshall Falk, who was on his way to becoming a star, but he missed the AFC championship game with a toe injury. And this game 100% would have ended differently if he was healthy because of how the game ended, which we'll get to coming up in a bit. This was a Colts team that had overcome the odds. No matter who was hurt, they found a way to win games. They had three fourth quarter comebacks. Harbaugh led four game winning drives. You know, for the little engine that could, that was the Colts. They were about as fun as they could be, but still, I never really took them seriously. Now, one three game winning streak in this season. I mean, that's that's it. You, and you find yourself playing in, an, in a title game. Very rare. Uh, I guess the Giants would be the only team I think we'd be looking at for things of that nature. I mean, that's week five, six, and seven coming out of the bye. They beat the Rams, the Dolphins, and the 49ers. Otherwise, it was loss, win, loss, loss, win, loss, <laughs> and, and all the way through. Never really finding any semblance of continuity, but it's funny. You reference Eric Dickerson. You reference Marshall Falk. Two guys nobody would ever associate with this team at first blush. No, but you forget that he had a couple of years and he was going to be a superstar. Then he goes to the Rams and he becomes an absolute super duper star. But Colts had a chance. I mean, look, this turned out to be the year for them, you know, before they wound up getting Peyton Manning. But, you know, they, they had really built a pretty decent team. But things happen. Look, Ted Marshabrota, who was the head coach, you thought he was going to be there for a long time. He finally built them into a winner. He was gone not too long after that again. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves on this podcast. No, but, of course not. Uh, there was a Is lot this of... where we play the Eric Dickerson uh, rant <laughs> on behalf of the Rams that got Jeff Fisher fired when he talked to us on Fox Sports Radio? <laughs> Let's just say there was a lot of stuff going on with the Colts uh, that you're going to find out over the course of this podcast. But, you know, for the intents and purposes of the game, here they are coming in and still the Steelers. They were the overwhelming favorite. Look, they're coming off losing the AFC championship game at home home the year before to the Chargers who went to the Super Bowl. It was the Al Papunu game. Uh, the Chargers tight end who was uncovered. He scored a big touchdown to win the game. And it was, oh my God, Al Papunu is wide open. I still remember the Bob Trumpy call on it when Stan Humphreys faded back to pass and you hear Bob Trumpy say, Al Papunu is wide open. And there he is down the sideline. <laughs> Nobody's near him. It's like he came off the sideline. Like he right. wasn't really out there. It's like, how did the Steelers leave the him rope wide open? thing, like he was walking back to the sidelines and uh, never made it or something like that. He scores the touchdown. They have a fourth down stop to stop Neil O'Donnell and the Steelers. And it was, here's another home game the Steelers have for the AFC championship game and they couldn't win. So they're coming off this loss loss and they start slow in 1995 but they won the AFC Central by four games back when it was the AFC Central over Cincinnati and Houston this is when Pittsburgh was pretty much top-notch in the regular season every year but they still wind up underachieving like I mentioned the AFC championship games they had the AFC title game at home five times between yeah. 1994 and 2004 right so a 10-year run they had the AFC title game at home five times they won one of those games that was this year 
They won one. Usually by accident at home playing the AFC title game, you win at least two. If you win three, if you go three and two, it's still a little bit disappointing, but at least, okay, you won three times. You have that game at home five times and you won one. And, and that's that's shocking to see a team of the Steelers that were so good during the season find a way to give games away and lose at home when it's one game from the Super Bowl. I haven't read any memoirs by uh, Bill Cower, but I'm guessing those are not looked at very fondly. Uh, no, no, I think he starts. I think he starts his biography with the year they beat the Seahawks to win the Super Bowl. I think that's what he starts with. We're going to start with that. So Neil O'Donnell's still the quarterback. They struggle a little bit at running back. This is Bam Morris and Eric Pegram, and you know this is a Steelers team that does just enough offensively, but defense is what carried them. And you look at their linebacking core, and it's just superstar after superstar. This is Chad Brown, Jason Gilden, Kevin Green, Levon Kirkland, Greg Lloyd. I mean, this is one of the most loaded linebacking cores you've ever seen. And the Steelers defense was, of course, that good. But you look at these lines. I mean, you could you could take guys that could had a tough time getting on the field and they would be superstars for other teams. It was just they were just that loaded on defense, but especially a linebacker. Yeah, top ranked all, all the way through. You know, you've got Hall of Famers and guys that had some consideration mixed therein, uh, some big sack totals, talked about the pressures on Harbaugh in this game. I mean, that was the calling card. Let's just beat you up. Mm. I mean, it was a street fight watching these guys just obliterate quarterbacks. I mean, and, and just like a little bit of a different era. I was looking and watching some of the offensive reps. They all look like they were linebackers running off of tight ends, mm-hmm. right? That's not the lean, lanky, pass-receiving tight ends anymore. So you've got that mix there in on your, on your offensive side. you got to be able to block, but, you know, just go through the who's who on defense and, and stars throughout. I mean, that black and blue division of the the AFC was well, what it was still remains that to this day in a lot of ways. So while the defense was that good, how did the offense find a way to put points on the board? Well, with the pedestrian running game they had with Bam Morris and Eric Pegram, this was the year they drafted Cordell Stewart in the second round, quarterback out of Colorado, who turned out to be the Steelers' quarterback of the future, went out to be an all-pro player. He was fantastic. Turnovers really limited him as far as becoming a superstar in the NFL, and I thought maybe with a little more sophisticated tutelage and spending more time on the offensive side of the ball and developing him, he would have been an absolute stud for a decade, but it didn't work out. Uh, But still, he was so exciting. He made so many plays, but before that, he came into the league as a wide receiver. The Steelers decided, we're going to turn him into a weapon and see how things go. And right away, I mean, not many players can say, I was a quarterback in college, I'm going to go be a great wide receiver. Anquan Bolden is the guy that comes to mind, as good as he was. But Cordell Stewart came in, slash, and he was the difference in the Steelers' offense. He was excitement when they put him in. He was somebody that when you saw him in the game, the defense had to account for him because he can make plays running the football, catching a pass. He was fantastic. The Steelers found a great role for him right away, and he was the difference in this offense from this point on. Always exciting to watch play back when Colorado would throw the ball a country mile. Uh, and when we get to the pros, right, obviously he becomes offensive weapon the first of, of two that the Steelers would have because they'd eventually bring in Antoine Randall L, mm-hmm. college quarterback in Indiana, same kind of role. Let's do some kick returns. Let's get you the ball on the end around and let's throw you some passes and try to convert you fully to wide receiver. With Stewart, it was the, all right, we want to get you on the field. We've got O'Donnell, 
but we got to get you on the field somehow. So here's some carries, here's some receptions, throw some passes now and again, uh, and, and try to work work into the system. But a guy that you know, sadly, I, I think ahead of his time in yeah. terms oh, of easily what offenses are, easily. you know, where offenses are now and the creativity. You know, when he comes into the league back in 1995, that's not the mo of a coach. It's like, all right, we'll use what he can do, but within our system. And if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. But they certainly gave it a long time to try to figure it out, right? Yeah. Oh, no, it's not like he didn't get a chance. It was just, it was, would he have been drafted earlier? And if you're drafted earlier, you're given the job earlier. And it, they, they have more invested in you, so they would put more resources around you. I mean, this was, he was kind of like found money for the Steelers. Oh, we got yeah. him in the second round. We thought he was going to be a quarterback event, or going to be a wide receiver. But eventually we saw how good he was. We turned him into a quarterback. And and it was it wasn't where you would normally get a team saying, this is our guy. Let's put everything around him to succeed. And I, I just don't feel like the Steelers ever really did that for him. Yeah, we go back to 2001 was where he really, you know, from a record perspective and, you know, operational efficiencies, uh, that's where he found his mark. 60% completion rate, uh, 13 and three and over 3,100 yards, right? Still the high on the turnover rate, uh, which which comes back to bite you, but it wasn't enough to to take down you know winning football games at least to that rate. But now you're already talking at what eight years in the league to where now you now you've got to get to the next decision point, and you're just a couple of years away from Ben Roethlisberger coming to town. Well, it took him a little bit to make his mark as quarterback, but Cordell Stewart made his mark on the AFC Championship game in so many ways. We have refereeing gaffes. We have unlikely heroes saving the season for the Pittsburgh Steelers and a Hail Mary that was this close to winning the game. All that more as we get to the 1996 AFC title game between the Steelers and the Colts. Right here, Jason Smith and Mike Harmon. As the AFC Championship game got underway, in the words of Marv Albert, not exactly what the Steelers had in mind. Neil O'Donnell's first pass of the game is picked off. The Colts turn it into a field goal. Pittsburgh ties it up. Norm Johnson kicks a field goal after Cordell Stewart drops a touchdown pass. There was no pass interference called. He got hit early on the play. So instead of a touchdown, it's 3-3 going to the second quarter. It's so bad. It was. It really so is. It's, how do you miss that? Like, how do you miss this? It's insane that you would miss it, but they did. And uh, had the game turned out differently, oh boy. Steelers would have been talking about this play for a long time. In the second quarter... Stewart turns into a demon. He runs three straight times for a first down on third downs. He catches a five-yard touchdown to give Pittsburgh a 10-6 halftime lead, even though he stepped out of bounds before the catch. You can watch this play. Mm -hmm. He's running along the back of the end zone, and he just steps out of bounds. And the thing is, he goes right by the official. The official's standing right there. Yeah. Cordell Stewart runs right by him out of bounds, catches the ball. The official's not even looking. This not one of those games that the NFL would say, oh, you want to see an example of great officiating in the no. NFL? Let me burn the tape of this game and give you something else. Because you already had, and this is very early in the game, two big plays that the officials missed. 
in theory, you could say, well, it's zero sum. You took a touchdown away, but you added one here. But still, these are plays you got to make. The, the, these are calls you have to have. Stewart stepped out of bounds, but it doesn't matter. He catches the touchdown, and they go to halftime with a lead. There was no replay, obviously, so they couldn't go back and look at these calls. And if there was, boy, would NFL history be different. But to try to put Cordell Stewart into perspective, because really he, he was so dominant in this second quarter, you, you your eye looks, where is he on the screen every single play? If he had this role now, forget about being a quarterback for a second, but if Cordell Stewart was what he was now, he would be a better Taysom Hill. Right, all the all the credit that Taysom Hill gets for playing these different roles with the New Orleans Saints and the money he got for being this offensive weapon, scoring touchdowns. This is nothing compared to the player Cordell Stewart was. That's where Cordell would be right now if he was playing this role and not being a quarterback. Look, I begrudge no man his money. I don't get into wallets. Uh, when that contract was signed with Taysom Hill, you and I were on air and looked at each other and went, eh? Uh, based on the number of passes thrown, I mean, I look, I'm not in the practice bubble. I don't know you know, what they're seeing and expecting going forward, but we certainly had seen the evolution of Cordell Stewart in college and, and saw what a playmaker he was here that it was just a matter of time before he was going to be the starter and have that role for some time to come. So, you know, just a question of how often could you get him on the field and keep the balance in the the locker room, right? Because then you, you don't want the squabble going on with Neil O'Donnell because you still needed him to help guide the ship. This game gets to halftime, and as it settles in, this had the feel of a knockdown drag out brawl and you knew whoever was going to win was going to make one more play than the other team. I mean, that that's how this was. The Colts are showing, Hey, we're for real. We're here. Yes. We're losing at halftime, but you're not up by two touchdowns. It was like a Rocky fight. You know, it, it, it was, it was <laughs> our play. Da, every, da, da. every play was breathless. Every, every play was hard hitting. It was, you were fighting for every yard in this game. It was the scrappy Colts and the, physical Steelers and and you knew this wasn't going to be a game where one of the teams ran away and hit no. and the Steelers were going to do it it was going to come down to one who was going to make that one more play and in the third quarter there was more evidence of it the teams trade field goals so you go to the fourth quarter feeling so tense and even watching this game on replay like we do when, when we go back and do these podcasts I had that feeling here like oh this one play oh wow oh what a hit Oh, what a play there. And it was it was every single down, you know, gave you that and you could feel it through the television. Yeah, and grind it out type of game. And again, it's it's old school NFL, right? So you you always have to remind yourself, I'm I'm going back in the wayback machine some 25 years, which is really kind of frightening to say. That's okay. Uh, but it, it's just the idea of the NFL has changed so dramatically in terms of how games are called and played and the wide open offenses that we have here. And if you w watch this thing with full sound up, uh, you're treated to the vast array of grunts, groans, and big hits uh, that became so popular with all those video series that you used to buy the DVDs of uh, for the NFL. That was the Steelers. They might as well just put up, all right, we're just going to roll their defensive stuff together and sell it because uh, <laughs> that's that's really where it went to. But, yeah, this is a, a, what they refer to as a slobber knocker, right? This is the the old Jim Ross or, or uh, Keith Jackson uh, terminology of, of, you know, you're just going to get your three yards in a cloud of dust 
and you're going to fight. I mean, you did the whole Al Pacino thing. You just didn't do it in Al Pacino's voice. We claw with our fingernails for that inch. And that's really what this came down to. I mean, it's one of the classics because it's not high scoring. It kind of gets pushed down the list, right? If it was a 38-35 game, it's like, wow, look at this. It's like, no, no, no. It, it can be really good and be defensively uh, owned and operated. Oh, for my money, I don't know that th this isn't my favorite AFC title game of the past 30 years. Like you said, just because it's 20 to 16 was the final score. Sorry, spoiler alert. It uh, doesn't mean it wasn't a great game. And, and the twists and turns were just coming because we're getting to the fourth quarter with a 13-9 Steelers lead. And this is when there's so many individual plays. You go, oh, if only this play hadn't happened. Oh, if only this play hadn't happened. And it builds to the huge crescendo and the Hail Mary at the end. Like I, said, I don't know. This may be my favorite AFC title game of the past 30 years. There you go. That's that's a lofty tale. I mean, we you haven't had a lot of Jets appearances, and certainly on the NFC side, not a lot from my beloved Chicago Bears. Well, I'll tell you this: every time we're in the AFC Championship game, we lost. So I can't have a I can't have a very favorite AFC title game with the Jets because we don't win them. Well, but you at least got there. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So in the fourth <laughs> quarter, finally, Jim Harbaugh strikes. A 47-yard touchdown pass to Floyd Turner gives the Colts a 16-13 lead. They tempt fate later on in the quarter when an offensive lineman recovers a Lamont Warren fumble in midair. You know, the ball pops out. It's, oh, my goodness, and the Colts recover it in midair. It was right at that point I thought – there's no way Neil O'Donnell is going to lead Pittsburgh to a touchdown to win this game. There's just no way. I, it, it's not happening. I'm going to watch Pittsburgh lose at home again. The Colts are going to be the underachieving team that I still don't believe in, but they're going to the Super Bowl. I thought there was no way the Steelers were going to do it. They they hadn't had anything going on offensively. The Colts were playing great defensively, and they got that big break, and you thought that play, that was what the Steelers needed. Warren fumbles, the ball pops up in the air. This is where a team recovers it, goes and scores, and goes to the Super Bowl, when you miss a chance like that, you think that was it. That was their chance. But instead, the Steelers had two more unlikely heroes save their season. So with three minutes left, Pittsburgh is on defense and the Colts have the ball and it's third and one. A first down pretty much salts the game away for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, remember, they don't have Marshall Falk in this game, and they didn't really run very well in this game overall. In fact, you look at what they did on the ground. Lamont Warren ran for 53 yards. Harbaugh ran for 29 yards. That was about it. That's it. I mean, so it's not like they really ran the football well. Harbaugh had a couple of scrambles, but it's not like they could really control the line of scrimmage. But this was the kind of game it was. The Steelers' defense is great as well. But when you put a talented guy like Marshall Falk out there, is he running the football better than Lamont Warren? Sure. Does he get one yard here on third and one? Yeah, but Willie Williams saves Pittsburgh's season. It's a third and one play, and it's kind of a slow-developing play out of the backfield. Warren has a gaping hole through the left side, a gaping hole. He's going to run for at least 15 yards, but Williams comes all the way up to the line, a defensive back, blitzes, goes in untouched, and trips up Warren at the line of scrimmage from behind. The hole was huge. I mean, it was, it's like, I got to stop. It's like a mirage. There's no way this hole is this big. But Williams trips up Warren from behind, and the Colts have to punt. When this would have been near midfield, and you're, you're saying, okay, this might be it. This play saved the Steelers' season. I, I still can't believe he got through and was able to get a hand on Warren and, and trip him up in the backfield.
So the Colts have to punt, and this is the Steelers' last chance. And this is where another unlikely hero steps up to save the Steelers' season. On the ensuing drive, Quentin Coriat looks like he's got a pick six, and he's going the other way for a touchdown. But he drops it. And it's, oh, my goodness, he drops it. Oh, it was right in his hands. It was a horrible throw by Neil O'Donnell because Neil O'Donnell really wasn't that great. But it's a horrible throw by Neil O'Donnell, but you can see Ernie Mills... Pittsburgh wide receiver who caught three balls for 52 yards in, in this game, including one in a couple of plays from now, gets his hand in and swats at it to knock it down. The game is over. I mean, the game is over at this point, but he gets a hand in to break up the play and to swat it and knock it down. O'Donnell with a second life goes on to convert a fourth and three with a 15-yard pass to Andre Hastings, and he throws it between three defenders. It's like, wow, he throws it down. If they need three yards, he's throwing the ball 15 yards downfield. The next play is a 37-yard completion to Ernie Mills, who somehow stays in bounds, but the ball comes out when he hits the ground. Doesn't matter. It's ruled a completion. It would be much different in 2020 when, oh, you fall to the ground, the ball pops out, but back then, no replay. He catches the ball, falls, hits the ground, still ruled a completion. The Steelers have all kinds of life. Bam Morris goes in for a touchdown run, and that gives Pittsburgh the 20-16 to lead. But it's two unheralded players of all the stars the Steelers had defensively. It's Ernie Mills and Willie Williams who saved the Steelers' season. I'll tell you what, that uh, Coriat drop, that's about as bad as it gets. Oh. And there were a couple of them in this game. Don't don't get me wrong. But, like, this one is what your eyes just get wide thinking yeah. how you're going to Cadillac to the end zone. And, and Mills just really gets a hand there. He just yeah. gets a hand there. You know, if, if he concentrates on catching the ball, he catches it. But yeah. it's hard because players see it. I'm catching. I'm going to the end zone. But if he concentrates on making that play, I don't know Ernie Mills breaks up the play because he comes in with he doesn't come in and rip the ball out. He kind of comes in with a soft hand and and just, you know, gets his hand in the way and knocks the ball up and out. But if he if he uses his body and and concentrates on catching the ball, it's a different outcome. It is so much to me. The uh, the pre- perspective for at least the old football video games where it would change the perspective as the guy made the interception, right? So it's throwing and you go to catch it and all of a sudden it's like the camera jib swings around. So now you've got the point of view of the intercepting player and you can see the giant field of green. That's kind of what I feel every time I watch that play of, oh, I can see his in through his mind's eye of how glory it was it was going to be and what line he was going to take to get to the end zone just inside the pylon to just kind of say, ah, I gotcha, spike the ball or hand the ball to somebody or whatever the wave was. And it, it never, it never happened, man. But instead of that, it's a Bam Morris touchdown and the Steelers are thinking, we got this, but Captain Comeback had other ideas. Still with some time left, Indianapolis gets down to Pittsburgh 29-yard line, and they have time for one final play, and it's a Hail Mary. And you've seen this play so many times. Aaron Bailey actually has it on his stomach as he's falling down, and as he hits the ground, his hands come off the ball. The ball hits the ground very briefly and bounces right back into his hands. All right. Now, obviously, it's an incomplete pass, right? Obviously, this is incomplete. But I am stunned that the referees saw it 
Be the referees who missed how many plays did they miss in this game? You missed two plays early on. Ernie Mills doesn't come down with a ball on a 37-yard pass on the sideline. That might have been an incomplete pass, but they happen to see this. They see the ball hit the ground for a nanosecond because Bailey is catching it. He's falling down, and really, I'm surprised he didn't just fall down on his back with the ball around his arms, but it's like he, he hit the ground and tried to turn, and the ball hits him, and it hits the ground and bounces right back up into his arms. But the official is right there and signals incomplete. The Steelers start going crazy. But that's what I was most surprised, even after seeing it the first time going, how did the referee see that? I know he was right there, but boy, they missed some calls. But it's it's right in front of him. And and I would not have been surprised to see touchdown, Colts win the football game. And it's the most improbable final play in the NFL and NFL history up until that point. Because you have a couple of moments there where Bailey really does a good sell job coming off the ground but it's all for not uh, this is a reminder of how much action you could get in a football game 10 plays in that final minute 34 yeah this wasn't one of those oh here's a couple of plays and we're no 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 you had a lot going on at the end of this game and suddenly it was like the offenses knew this is our last chance right the Steelers clearly mm-hmm. knew it was their last chance and, and the Colts knew it was their last chance and the defenses weren't able to answer you know as they had answered most of the game the defenses look they made the plays for the most part this is a low scoring game but you had the final possessions from from both of these teams and you had the Steelers touchdown and you had the Colts coming within a hair's breadth of a touchdown on the final drive yeah, and once again, Harbaugh running for his life a bunch. He got bounced around like a pinball a couple of times during this final drive. You know, let's adjust the shoulder pad. Let's scrape you up off the ground. I don't know if any of the linemen had brought smelling salts onto the field to make sure he was okay. But, you know, that that last pass, right, hang time and finds finds the receiver. The Steelers DBs go up and try to catch it instead of trying to yeah. knock it away. I want to come down with the interception and be the guy that caught the and caught the pick. It's they both go up and they try to catch it. One guy tries to tries to to uh, have his arm wave at it, but the other guys try to catch it. And so that's really what what did it and made this catch almost possible. And there's the famous shot of Harbaugh not understanding the ball was incomplete. He's making the the catch motion. No, he caught it. He caught it. He caught it. But clearly it hit the ground and there was no controversy following the game. The Colts knew they had seen the play. They knew, look, this is an incomplete pass. We almost had it, but we knew the referee made the right call on it. So what was next? The fortunes of both of these teams changed forever following this game and not the way you might expect. We have the rest of it and the rest of the story of the Colts and the Steelers and one of the best AFC title games you'll ever see coming up next right here on Special Teams. Pittsburgh's reward after outlasting the Indianapolis Colts, a date with the Cowboys in the Super Bowl, a game in which the Steelers played much better than I expected. But of course, Neil O'Donnell throws two interceptions that become legendary. Larry Brown wins the MVP because he stands there and catches two balls that come his way from Neil O'Donnell. (laughs) Hey, hey, Uh, (laughs) you got to catch him just like they're off the jug's gun at practice, baby. Just stand there and deliver. But still for O'Donnell, he had a chance now to become a next level quarterback. Pittsburgh 
Pittsburgh made him a big offer. He was a free agent in the offseason, but the Jets offered him a then big year, a big deal rather, of five years and $25 million. Pittsburgh decided, okay, we're going to go with Cordell Stewart as our quarterback, and he became one of the best for a few years, but as we talked about, not being able to stay away from turnovers was his big bugaboo, and Neil O'Donnell goes to the New York Jets, and I was excited. Here's a guy that went to the Super Bowl. He's mm-hmm. not great, but he doesn't make mistakes. He makes clutch plays, and the thing about Neil O'Donnell is he wasn't bad with the Jets, and he wasn't bad afterwards. He just couldn't make enough big plays as he left the Steelers, which had him in a position to succeed because you have a, a really good defense, a good enough offense. You, you're starting to get weapons, but he wasn't a raise the level of the team quarterback. He was a good enough guy with good enough weapons. His first year with the Jets, the following year, they started out 0-6. He hurt his shoulder. He tried to come back late in the season, but on his return game, he hurt his calf dropping back in warmups, and he couldn't play. I remember watching that game going, okay, Neil O'Donnell's coming back, and then you know they come back from break and say Neil O'Donnell's not playing today and they show him being carried off the field because he hurt his uh, uh, calf dropping back and doing drills so I'm like okay this is typical Jets right here he this must is skip leg day buddy this is just how it works for the Jets uh, he actually stays on the team even though Bill Parcells took over the following year he plays and starts for Bill Parcells and he was better but he still wound up losing his job to Glenn Foley. He moves on from the Jets and he was okay with Cincinnati. He was okay with Tennessee. He was actually great with Tennessee in the middle of Tennessee Super Bowl run in 1999, the big uh Music City Miracle year because mm-hmm. Steve McNair gets hurt and he goes 4 and 1 while McNair was hurt. He actually came off the bench to win in week 17 and when they gave him chances and he was surrounded by talent, he was pretty good. You know, he was never awful or so embarrassing. He was a limited quarterback. And had you known more about him, that that was who he was. Okay. Maybe the jets would have understood. All right. Maybe, you know, he's not for us or another team would have said, well, we have good weapons and a good offensive line. We can win with Neil O'Donnell. But when you're, you sign a guy to be the franchise quarterback, he doesn't have franchise level talent. It's not going to work. And so you see him bounce around at different teams. But when he got his chance with teams that had pretty good weapons or were pretty solid all around, Hey, he did pretty well. 10 games over 500 for his career, about 58% completion rate, which given the time wasn't out of place and 120 touchdowns against 68 interceptions. Most teams will sign up for that ratio without question. He's someone who ended his career. Think about this for Neil O'Donnell, the lowest interception rate in NFL history, 2.1 interceptions for every hundred attempts. So it's not like the guy didn't have talent. It's it's that it's being in the right place, being in the right system. And Neil O'Donnell has a different NFL legacy. I mean, that that's really what it is. People think, oh, he threw the picks in the Super Bowl. It was awful and embarrassing with the Jets. And that was Neil O'Donnell. And that really wasn't who he was. Yeah, but that's what folks are going to remember. You know, Mark Sanchez of your Jets, he's going to be remembered for one play. That's true. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and he wasn't he wasn't a terrible quarterback. Was he a world beater? No. But he did what was asked of him on those two AFC title teams. Now for the Colts. First of all, if Marshall Falk is healthy, that game goes differently because, you know, he would have been able to run the ball better. He probably would have had a chance to make that first down. Uh, But for the Colts, hey, finally, they look like they're on the rise. Look, Harbaugh had a great year. Marshall Falk is going to be the star running back. Things are going to work okay. except Ted Marshabroda, 
who is responsible, the architect for this, wanted a two-year contract extension. And you would think that Indianapolis, well, we just came off the AFC Championship game. Let's give him two years. No, no, no. Indianapolis offers him a one-year contract extension. So he leaves. And six days later, <laughs> he's named the first ever head coach of the Baltimore Ravens. He replaces Bill Belichick. Floyd Turner went to Baltimore with him as well. And this is suddenly what just happened to the Colts. They had everything they needed. You got your veteran quarterback. You got your future superstar running back. You have a good enough defense. Yeah. No, no, no. We're going to let the head coach walk because we don't want to extend his contract by another year. doesn't matter how well or how poorly you get along well with him. You got to understand you just got to the AFC championship game. I mean, can you imagine that now? A team getting to the AFC title game. A coach wants a two-year extension, and a team says, no, we're only going to give you one. So we're going to let you go and, and let you go and go be the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, that, that would never happen now. Now, before we move on, let, let's see. You heard me mention Bill Belichick there for a second. Belichick then was, of course, still the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, but the Browns announced they were going to move to Baltimore, and Belichick was told, yeah, you're going to be the head coach. We get to Baltimore. Uh, no one said they fired him on Valentine's Day. Hey, Yay. happy Valentine's Day, Bill Belichick. Maybe that's fired. why he's always looking so sad and sullen. <laughs> Uh, and while on draft night, it was just him and his dog. Bad Valentine's Day for Bill Belichick. Uh, so he's fired, replaced by Ted Marshabroda. Floyd Turner leaves, but that opens up number 88 to be worn by a new wide receiver. And hey, later on, Marvin Harrison steps into that number and turns into a Hall of Famer. But what happened for the Colts here after this season? Well, offensive coordinator Lindy Infante took over. Indianapolis got back to the playoffs in 1996, but they lost a Again to the Pittsburgh Steelers. This wasn't close, 42 to 14. This was in the midst of four straight losses in Pittsburgh for Indianapolis that spanned the regular season and the playoffs. So for this Colts team, hey, we got as far as we could. We just couldn't beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh when, meanwhile, other teams in the playoffs, when they played Steelers in Pittsburgh, they would find a way to win. Uh, but after this, the good times were over, and Indianapolis sank to the bottom of the standings until they drafted Peyton Manning in 1998, and that started the rebirth of the Colts. Now, what about for Jim Harbaugh? At this point, Harbaugh is 32 years old, and you're thinking, all right, he's finally figured it out, you know, drafted to be the next great mm -hmm. quarterback of the Chicago Bears. He kind of stumbles through that a bit, but he's finally found it. The right fit, the right team, the right everything. And... He said after the game, a quote that will always stay with me. He said, following the game, you think there's going to be other days, right? Like I'm 32. You think there's going to be other days and you realize that was the only day. You know, he never got as far with any other team during his playing days. That was it. And it's hard to think about that at the time. You go, okay, well, we just made it. We'll make it back. Something else is going to happen. That was the only day. He started a few more years. He went to Baltimore for a bit and started. He went to San Diego and started. He's kind of the same quarterback before finally retiring. And you look back and go, that day, that game, that was our moment. That was the moment I had in my NFL career. And we were that tiny bit of Hail Mary away from going to the Super Bowl. Well, it just takes one, right? We always talk about the game of inches. We always talk about one possession, one throw, one moment that that separates and even the guys that get to go there once we debate their legacies right joe flacco for a minute we thought let's talk about him as elite and it's like well he had one good run eli manning as we think about the hall of fame and where we go with him 
Some will argue he had two playoff runs and that was it. For Jim Harbaugh as a quarterback, you know, taking over in Chicago, he went 21-9 and over a two-year period, and then things reversed. Ends up with the Colts. And this play... But what, what's funny is, I mean, think about what it might have done in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> in my Jake, goodness. Yeah, all the way through had had that com- been complete, right? Uh, as patient as the Roonies are. Uh, but you, you think about for Jim Harbaugh, you know, it's it's never the same, you know, the coaching versus a player. As much as, as sweet as it is to get to the big dance as a coach, come on, as a starting quarterback for Super Bowl week, you become a legend. So that was it for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They escape and move on. They have unexpected heroes. Jim Harbaugh has a lifetime of NFL lament for that one game. How about some where are they now for some of the players from this game? All right, we got Sean Harper, Central Ohio Salvation Army Advisory Board, uh, and he does some security systems work uh, throughout their facilities as well. Bradford Banta, uh, he's an analyst for the University of Michigan, 10 years of coaching. Uh, Jason Belser, Senior Director for Player Services and Development for the National Football League Players Association. Jason Gilden, Evolve Athletic Strength Training and professional performance uh, enhancement. Uh, Myron Bell, security guard for the West Mecklenburg High School in Charlotte, North Carolina. I really wanted to get him in because I could say Mecklenburg like I'm Pat Summerall. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got to do a podcast at some point where we get to mention Carl Mecklenburg. We, okay. we need to do that at some point. Cool. We'll work. We'll we'll find another Broncos uh, <laughs> reference here. Uh, and John Jackson off the offensive line is in real estate with the Jackson and Corey Group. They do uh, some luxury homes. So uh, good times. But yes, Myron Bell is the is the key here, right? Security guard. He was a safety, so it's only appropriate that he continued that line. So that's our look back at the 1996 AFC Championship game, an absolute thriller. Jason Smith, Mike Harmon, you can listen to our show every night, Monday through Friday on Fox Sports Radio, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. on the East Coast, 7 to 11 on the West Coast. You have an idea for a future special teams podcast, hit us up with it on Twitter at HowAboutAFresca, Mike at Swollen Dome. We'll talk to you next week on special teams. Before you go, rate and review the show, whether you're listening on iHeartRadio, iHeartRadio apps, Apple, whatever it is. Give us a rate. Tell us you like it. We will love you forever and ever and ever. Special Teams is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.